0: Give us a little bit of a, you know, we don't really know you that well. All the main thing we know of you is you fly planes, you build bikes, and you ride some of the most aggressive geometry bikes <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> what's up everybody welcome to another episode of coaches on couches
1: being slouches with a non-slouch we got another non-slouch, another non-slouch. it's a good thing we do interviews uh more regularly so we can have non-slouchers yeah here. happy new year everyone
0: yeah. I hope first had one a good, of uh, 2019 yeah good good christmas holiday new year uh i know you've made all of your resolutions and broken them already.
1: Which we might be talking about next week. We yeah. <laughs> floated the idea of uh, talking about what to do after you don't follow through with your resolutions.
0: So I am coach Dale Sanford and this is coach Bryant Funston. We are your hosts today. We've got Earl Glazer on the couch today. We'll be talking to him here shortly. But first, shout outs. I've got a uh, got a good one. Mhm. Uh, Matea Vanderpool. He, uh, he had quite the save in uh, this last cross race. He literally was getting bucked off the bike. <laughs> Looked like rodeo, huh? He was getting bucked. And in midair, with his butt this high off the saddle, he dismounted.
1: This high being for those uh, not watching live and listening to the podcast <laughs> yeah. was yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Yeah. about 18 inches, <laughs> I think.
0: Yeah, he was roughly 18 <laughs> inches above the saddle with the, front, with the back wheel off the ground. Uh huh. Dismounts in midair. Takes three or four steps and remounts the bike. I mean. that skills there. It was, uh, he was literally, a, the bike got all wobbly. He hit a, like an uphill real quick and the back end just started coming up and he just dismounted
1: midair. I've had a few times where my butt's come off the saddle that far and it's resulted in broken things yes. on my body. <laughs> Not nearly as skilled as him. That's why he's a pro. I got my shout out. What you got? New Year's Day, we had uh, one of our House of Pain cycling classes to kick things off right. Day off for most people. But at 6 p.m., we had 25 people show up live uh, online to knock out a a challenging, toughest one uh, of the season so far, uh, trainer workout. So that was great to see, kicking things off right.
2: Earl, what uh, do you
1: got? You got anything?
2: Ah, uh, no shout-outs to me. No shout glad out. to be here. <laughs> shout-outs to you, two for uh, bringing me here. You oh, bet. No We're
0: problem. excited to chat
1: with yeah.
2: you.
0: Yeah. Fussin, I heard that you uh, threw in a little
1: mental adversity training into that uh, oh, yes. New Year's Day workout. Oh, yes. So part of the beauty of the hop is you have the, the workout laid out that we tell everyone, but then uh, a big aspect that we like to do is the mental adversity training side uh-huh. of things, where we'll we'll have you at a set zone, set effort level. You know the time that you think you're going. And mm-hmm. then when that time ends and you're ready to like ease off and recover, we're like, one more minute, time to keep <laughs> going. And the whole it. point being uh, can you actually push yourself? Did you think you were at your limit? And now you learned you can go a minute harder or a minute longer. That's so uh, we like to mix that in occasionally. Although it may backfire eventually. People are just going to be like riding at 70% of what they think they can <laughs> yeah. because they, uh, they're just prepping for the, yeah. the mental yeah. adversity. There extender are those that'll do it, but mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, I think it's a huge
0: benefit to to people to kind of learn where the ceiling is and how to
2: go past. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the
1: mental side of the sports, uh, as much I would say, even more than the the physical side is.
2: Especially like on a group ride, if I'm being oh, yeah. challenged, mm-hmm. yeah. and you've got to keep that gap closed. I think I'm at my limit. Oh yeah, but the gap will start opening, and sometimes I find the strength to close it back oh, up, and life gets better. Exactly. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I'm off the bat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, Earl, give us a little bit of a. Uh, you know, the, we don't really know you that well. All the main thing we know of you is you fly planes, you build bikes, and you ride some of the most aggressive geometry bikes <laughs> i've ever seen in my entire
2: life yeah
0: <laughs> i'm pretty sure earl coins slam that stem uh-huh uh, yes because you're generally below the top of
1: the head tube
2: yeah yeah <laughs>
1: and have the bars really rotated forward right your brake yeah, hoods like, are typically i like
2: to reach way out with the yeah. brake hoods. i don't like i don't like the brakes pushing me back mm-hmm. upright Ah. so you like so to kind just, of sink uh,
1: down into them versus having them yes, yes, fighting exactly. them exactly okay
2: and i get a lot of comments a lot of people say they can spot me from a good half mile oh, yeah. away that's for yeah. sure yeah <laughs> i passed you on
0: the green line a few times and uh-huh. i'm like oh, there's our <laughs> <laughs> yep so what uh kind of give a background on on your kind of life scenario now you know uh
2: work family that kind of stuff well let's see um Right now, I've been in Memphis for 28 years. I'm married. Uh, I've been married for 35 years. I've got a 32 year old son and 29 year old son. Um, I'm a pilot out at FedEx, so uh, that has that adds challenges to uh, training and mm-hmm. things like that. And I've found different ways over the years to combat that. Yep. Um, I've been a cyclist since about 1972, and I went. Around the early two thousands, I kind of shifted over to running a little bit, okay. some marathons, and then uh, hurt my foot, and decided I would hop on the bike. Uh, and I'd been riding during while I was running. Still.
1: So riding was more of a cross training thing while you were yeah, bigger kind of into the running.
2: Over running, yeah, and used riding as cross training. Hurt my foot, hopped on the bike, and said, "Man, I really miss this a lot." Yeah, mm-hmm. and I've been back on it ever since. Okay.
0: So. So did you do much like competitive cycling racing? Back,
2: uh, yes, there was a little bit. I lived in Texas for a while and we had a lot of non-sanctioned racing there and I did some of that. And then I came here and when I got here, it was the Hightailers race team. And okay. then we broke off because uh, I think we were sucking all the money out of the high tailors. Mm-hmm. and uh, it was a, <laughs> a mutual agreement to uh, find to our branch own branch out a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, became Mid South Velo, and okay. uh, raced uh, through the '90s a little bit. Never, uh, I had fun riding on the road, but my results on the mountain bike were a little bit better. I made it up okay. to at the time uh, it was expert category. Oh, excellent. Uh, and then um, really found a lot of time riding in the sport category. All I had to do was get a lot of uh, fitness on the road, mm-hmm. and that would transfer over. Because a lot of the sports did not do road riding at the time. And there's mountain biking is a lot of fun, but I think you have to put the two together yeah. if you really want yeah. to be good. And they both uh, complement each other really well. Oh, for yeah. sure, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's kind of like we were just chatting about before we started the, uh, the, the episode today. It was like Peter Sagan came from mountain yeah. bike background. I know Levi, well, there's a lot of people that use uh, road cycling because you can get those steady state, longer yeah. duration efforts. Yeah, so they use that for fitness day. building. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, if you're someone who's got good technical skills... And yeah. that's kind of the yeah. <laughs> the, the best of both worlds, there, right?
2: Yeah. And when you're on the road bike, when somebody drops a water bottle or there's a brick yeah. in the road, which both I've seen both of those. Yeah. yeah. And you end up staying upright. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. That's oh, where the mountain bike comes in.
0: The bike handling side of mountain biking can't be ignored for anybody who rides a, a road bike. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it, it, we try. So we, a lot of the people that we coach that do mountain biking and road riding, you know, the, the, if they're, focused on mountain biking they use the road riding to get those like long steady Mm -hmm. efforts but obviously Mm -hmm. you can't you really can't replace the technical aspect
2: not at all not at all And you learn
1: that pretty quick if you're a strong road cyclist and then you go try to do a mountain bike race. (laughs) You find out pretty quick uh, how technical skills and and bike handling... What just happened.
2: Your aerobic engine
0: only goes so far. Only so far. And there's only
1: so many times you can catch up on the straighter sections and then (laughs) lose time in each uh, each little twist and bend. (laughs) Exactly. That's funny. So So your first race was when? I'm just curious.
2: The first Uh. ever
1: race you participated first, in on a road road probably bike
2: my first uh it was uscf at the time oh yeah was up in chicago i lived in northbrook illinois for a while okay and uh I'm trying to think the first one might have been a crit in downers grove oh nice and i think they try... still they still do crits in downers they're, grove yeah, yeah yeah, there's a big one there. yeah and i can't remember if this it's was of the one, like speed week i think but i remember that uh there was a little bit of water in one turn. Oh, and sure enough, safe. guess what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I hit the ground, come sliding to a stop. My dad had driven me down there, oh, came yeah. sliding to a stop right at his feet, virtually. Oh wow! And I guess ah, I'm out of this. And there's this old, you know, uh, Italian guy, and <laughs> he's like breaking away here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's you know, in that accent, he says, "You came to ride." get your ass out there and go ride okay so all bloody and scraped up yeah so i learned a lot about cycling oh for sure oh that's funny
0: that's great i think everybody has a story like that yeah. yeah if you ever if you got into cycling and you got into the thick of racing especially crit racing you know at some point you probably went down yes and if your bike wasn't totaled somebody told you to get your butt back oh, on the yeah, bike yeah. and get back yeah. in mm-hmm. the race i mean yeah i think the uh the mental the mental toughness side and just the toughness side of oh
1: for sure yeah
0: cycling you know it's something that can't be ignored as well
1: mm-hmm.
0: so, uh let's dive into it all right so how so like when why how did you get into doing frames
2: I started, like I said, I started riding back in 1972. Lug steel was the way all the bikes were built. Yep. And I always thought it'd be really cool to be able to build one. But there's, it just, that wasn't even an option. I didn't really know anybody who built them. And, uh, but they're always, I've started out with a Raleigh Grand Prix, moved Mm -hmm. up to a Raleigh competition. And then um, I was at college. And I'm sure you know the movie Breaking Away. Oh, yeah. I wasn't at Indiana. I was at Georgia. And they did a... Not well-known, very short-lived TV series on Breaking Away. And they filmed it down there. Really? And I was an extra in the pilot uh, riding a bike and a bunch of other... A friend of mine was in charge of gathering up the extras for each day of filming. So when they ran short, uh, I was one of the people he'd call up. So I was sitting in a Wendy's eating a hamburger, playing (laughs) video games. Uh, I was a bellhop, all kinds of other stuff. But I used that money to buy a... uh, An RRB, which is a shop up in Chicago. And uh, that was my first really nice bike. And I put a Campy Nuva record group on it. But I always wanted to know how to build them. Yeah. And uh, not too many years ago, um, there was uh, a friend I had at work. Another pilot uh, was a rider. And we'd flown together and talked about it a lot. And he saw me in the simulator building and he came running up to me and said, "Let me show you what I've been doing." And he pulls out pictures of this frame he's building. I'm like, "Wow, that's really cool." So and he asked him all the questions. Uh-huh. There're lots of supply houses now, a lot of information online, Yeah. there's still some books. So I kind of thought about it for a while and just kind of put it on the back burner and then I don't just one day. I said, "I'm going to do Today's
1: this. the day." Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so He lived over uh, a little outside of Nashville, but he was over here all the time for work. Okay. And uh, I started hitting him up for information, and um, he was actually kind of using um, Mike Crumb, who had Magnolia Cycles at the time, and he was one of the original guys at uh, Victory, Uh Mike shop. Yeah. Um, He was building here, and he's since moved out west, but uh, Ted was kind of having Mike look over his shoulder, and so I kind of got in on that. Mike looked over my shoulder, and I built two uh, fixed-gear bikes for my kids. So they were okay. the initial guinea pigs. Okay, oh, And nice. then I built
1: one for myself. Well, they're less likely to sue you if something goes bad, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: And initially, I really just kind of wanted it to be a hobby, and I just you know built for myself and mm-hmm. for my family and built every single bike I could think of for all of us. And a couple people started asking me if I'd build for them. And then it became so just kind to, of a
1: natural progression, yeah, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah. and uh, needed to buy insurance because <laughs> reading online, yeah. with the legal climate we live in. Oh, for sure. You really don't want to uh, just kind of throw yourself oh, yeah. to the. It's un- yeah, there.
1: unfortunate, but it's something yes, yeah it's, you it's definitely reality. have to do. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, how did those first few? Uh, how did those first few builds go? Actually, the. Um, Mike, I'd, I'd bring him in to Mike, and he'd line them and everything. They they weren't horrible, but they needed some lining, and there were um, gaps in the brazing material and lugs. And he'd smack me around and <laughs> me go back and fix that. And uh, but they're they're both still on the road. And uh, then the next bike I built was for myself, and it's still on the road. So uh, they're hanging in there.
1: So like start to finish, how long is that process for you?
2: It's gotten shorter. Um, I built a bike for my brother and I actually tracked the number of hours I put into it. And at the time it was 40 hours, but he had some, uh, I did polished Mm -hmm. lugs, stainless steel lugs. So that added to it. And I need to go back and just try again, see how many hours I'm putting into them now. But with... uh, work getting in the way if i'm in town out of town Mm -hmm. the time span from start to finish can vary quite a bit um but generally um i'd say up to six months you have to be a little patient (laughs) 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 um it's not going to get there tomorrow yeah three to six months depending on my work schedule
0: gotcha excellent so what like what is your what is your attraction to steel and and you know what if any benefits are there over other materials that are pretty common?
2: I really like the ride quality of steel. It has um, a life to it. To me, it feels very good. Um, I trust it. And it takes the harshness out uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I went over, over to France and rode in the Alps a number of mm-hmm. years ago and rented, uh, um, it was, uh, I don't want to use any names, but it was a well-known uh, carbon bike, and it was their kind of endurance model that was supposed to be a little bit softer, but I, to be honest, I, I felt it was a little bit harsh, mm-hmm. and it didn't... I wasn't real confidence-inspiring on the bumpy downhills they have yep. over there. I was used to a certain feel, and uh, a lot of people assume that steel is very noodly, like yep. they were back in the 70s. Heavy, noodly. Really yep, yeah, flexes yeah. a lot
1: when you're really trying to put power down. Yeah,
2: but... Um, Since the standard skinny tube, 1970s, you know, basically thick wall skinny tubes, there are a lot of different tube sets out there now, larger diameters, thinner walls. Um, Up until True Temper decided to get out of the bike business, they had their S3 tube set, which I built one frame out of it, and that came out at 1,400 grams, which is, I think, pretty close to Mm. titanium. Uh, weight range mm-hmm. okay. and it, it feels really good and it's uh 38 millimeter down okay. tube so it's at that and that holds the bottom bracket in place so gotcha when you stomp on it it stays put the way i want it <clears> to <throat> excellent and the total bike depending on which scale i use it's about 15 and a half to 16 pounds with full up what size what, frame would that be 56 by 56 okay yeah. yeah yeah i mean so you're <laughs>
1: You're just barely above what the UCI would allow, you know, for pro cycling. You're you're right under that 15 pound mark for being a legal bike and not having to add weight to it. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think most people, the conception would be, if you're getting steel, it's going to be heavy, and it's not going to be. Yes. stiff and that's so.
2: really, and that's the way it was many years ago, mm-hmm. but it's not the way it is now. Gotcha. So as and with uh, all
1: technology, that technology yes. has improved a ton as well.
2: And the nice thing is when True Temper got out of the bike business, there's a company up in Ohio called Verywall mm-hmm. that jumped into the hole they left, uh. and they've got a tube set that's, I haven't tried it yet, but it's supposed to be basically a clone of S3. Okay. Interesting. So really nice, uh, this S3 stuff is really hard. I found... Uh, started working with, I do all my miters, basically where you fit the tubes together yep. uh, with hacksaws and files. And first time <laughs> I bared down with a file, I sheared a bunch of the teeth off the file. It's that oh, wow. Oh, wow. wow Yeah. <laughs> <It is. laughs> so you got to kind of be gentle with it. Gotcha. Wow. Uh, that bike's been on the road for, I think, three summers now, and it's still hanging in. Uh-huh. And I brought it over to France and rode it in the Pyrenees this summer, and it hung in there did yeah,
1: it real well
0: yeah cool so are there any like what are the you know trends you're seeing as far as like steel bikes or or is it are most people wanting gravel bikes uh, are steel mountain bikes still in there
2: what what's the trend the, right now right now everybody wants a gravel bike that's it mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's fun it's, it's the so same so as
1: across, fun. I think, the cycling industry as a whole. I yes, think there's a yes. lot of people gravitating towards uh-huh. towards that and also. It's a lot
2: of fun. And I, with, I think the gravel races are able to attract more of a grassroots kind of mm-hmm. uh, sure. crowd, so that makes it fun. But see um, a lot of people are wanting uh, gravel bikes. I built one for myself, uh, have built a couple now. Let me see, three, I think, just within this, yeah, it's just this year. And uh, my output isn't very high, so three is a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> How many bikes would you say you do per year? Um, I can do up to about five. Okay. And this year I did a couple for myself and then uh, three of them for other people. Oh, interesting. And, cool, uh, cool. Usually, if there's a hole in the schedule, I find some reason to build a bike for myself. (laughs) So that N plus one uh, rule is uh, is, is really in effect. It's probably worse if you know how to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. My wife's getting tired of bicycles everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, our kitchen table does not need a bicycle on top of it. And then uh, my kids have just, their life situations have changed. Mm -hmm. And so... The bicycles that they'd had at their places have now migrated back. So we've oh. got a lot of bikes. Need <laughs> extra exactly. room? Uh, yes. That's I, hilarious. I, yes, I've taken over quite a bit of the upstairs. That's funny. <laughs> you forced the kids to move out so there's a place <laughs> to put the bikes? Kids, you're gone. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. I need extra space for these bikes.
2: Yeah, well, that was nice that they left and uh-huh. they took the bikes with them. But uh-huh. Now the bikes are going back, back. <laughs> we're that's out of funny. room. That's That's funny.
1: <laughs> So a lot of
0: the, the, or all, or a lot of the bikes that you're doing are custom geometry?
2: Yes. Um, Pretty much, I've been working with people who are cyclists and know what they want fit-wise. And so basically, I'll take some measurements from them, uh, throw that into a fit calculator, compare that with their bike. And just talk to them about what they want out of the bike mm-hmm. and then uh, draw it up and basically go with, you know, custom. And the nice thing is um, however many water bottles you want, if they'll fit, I can get them on there. <laughs> um, one of the last gravel bikes, uh, the guy wanted one of those little bento boxes on the yep, top too. Okay. So put a couple water bottle mounts there. And yeah. you know, he's got nice clean uh, spot for that. Uh-huh. And, so I assume uh, like
1: fenders and stuff, if someone was wanting... Uh-huh. fender yeah, mounts
2: yeah yeah and everybody's got a different idea how big their tires they mm-hmm. want and within reason because the tire and the chain stays and the crank set are all competing for space yeah. in a very limited amount of space yeah. and then and everybody wants really really short chain stays mm-hmm. and you gotta you can't have all that right <laughs> so, <laughs> so we just run out of what's room. the
0: biggest tire size you can fit now
2: i've got a 45 on my gravel bike okay and uh i I know some of them are doing 650b, like 20. yeah. I'm. Uh, let me see. What did I do? I did uh, uh, basically a basically 29 or 2700 20, uh, yep. uh, okay. rim and uh, 45s, and then you know basically with discs now you can just build it for There's the biggest of wheel space, they yeah. want to, yep. and then they can scale it up and down as they want. Which is I wasn't a real big fan of discs when they first came out, but that kind of flexibility is pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that gives you some options.
0: Yeah. And I can't. I think for a adventure bike, it's yeah, it's pretty pretty beneficial as far as braking and yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, I know a lot of people. Uh, some of the gravel races or or the gravel grinders or whatever you want to call them, the long, super long distance stuff like mm-hmm. Kanza and, yeah. and Land Run yeah. and stuff like that. You get those you get to those races on a day where it's rained? Exactly. And you're going to be you're going to be super happy you had some discs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much yeah, of course, so.
1: It's not all clogged up on your yeah, caliper yeah. brake set. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah.
0: So, um, as far as I mean you kind of describe the process of 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 doing a custom frame. So, after you, I mean basically after you get some measurements from them, you just Go to town on it, or talk to them about the the finishes and stuff like that. Yeah, there's
2: a conversation that takes place. Um, most important thing is fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, if for the sure. The doesn't yep. fit. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That just that's it, that's it's worthless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll talk about what they wanted to do. Um, I believe that the really the front end geometry. I believe has a lot to do with how the bike handles. Some people spend a lot... I don't think wheelbase and chainstay length has nearly the effect that a lot of people uh, say it has. And um, so I kind of talk over the handling qualities they want, uh, any kind of brazons. One of the bikes I just did was my first uh, foray into uh, running an internal cable route down the top tube and uh, things like that. And tire size um i like to try to talk people into going with fairly good sized uh chain rings up front for here in memphis i've seen a lot of bikes where they manage to they're they're working that real estate in that area by running really small chain rings mm-hmm. and then you get out on the flats and you're down to two or three gears at the very bottom of the you know the smallest cogs yep. and You've got a three-speed, you know? yeah. And so I, I encourage people to work with a big enough chain ring that they can be in the middle of the uh, cassette in the back and have some choices. Yeah, um, things like that all, are all part of the conversation.
0: Yeah, well, especially now, like with the, I guess Sram's got the t- one by twelve. One by, yeah, now. I mean, yeah. that's a you can that's a huge range you know (laughs) yeah you can throw in you can throw 46 or 50 even on the front and yeah have a a massive range there yeah awesome well we always like to end it with uh any kind of tips that you might have for people who are on a time budget you know wanting to stay fit maybe not competitive but you know some things that you do to make sure that you get in some training
2: I would say, uh, first of all, in Memphis, we can ride just about year-round. So if you can afford it, buy good clothing to ride in the wintertime, and you'll be a lot happier in the spring. And don't feel that you have to go out for X number of minutes or hours every time you go out. If you've got 45 minutes, you can go get the shorter the time, maybe go more intense with a good Mm warm-up. And uh, just... Ride when you can and don't put artificial constraints on and say, well, not worth it to go out if I don't go out for two hours. So yeah, you know, your, that's something we've you talked yourself. about a
1: decent amount. It's uh-huh. and, and when we're planning a program for a person, it's like, tell us what is realistic for you, not mm-hmm. what is I hope to be able to get in. I hope to get two hours on yeah. a Friday morning. Yes. But yeah. you realize you had to stay up late and mm-hmm. you got to get into the office or whatever it may be. And now you're like, well, crap, I only have 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, that's not even close to two hours, so I'm just going to scrap it. And it's like, yeah. if we're planning around 45 minutes, you can get a lot of quality. Yeah. And if you can get extra, great. But, yeah. you know, some is always better than none. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's the exactly. Biggest
0: people, the biggest thing people misjudge is the time it takes to start and right after. So like yes. getting your clothes on, get it, like get yes. having all that stuff. To get out the door, like how much time mm-hmm. is there? Yeah. So where they say, they, oh, I got two hours in the morning to work out. You know, when you get up, you do your whole routine. By the time you get out the door, you really have like an hour to you know, 45 yeah. minutes to Especially an hour. in in wintertime.
2: Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It takes... That's my one rule. The ride doesn't count unless you spend more time riding than you did getting dressed. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's
1: funny. I've got one more question. If you could only have one bike... Mm-hmm. What would it be? Kind of break down what that bike would be, geometry, if you want to go into that a little bit.
2: I would do a gravel bike with a fairly high bottom bracket. I like high bottom brackets because I hate pedal strikes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see a lot of mountain bikes with low bottom brackets, and guys are yard sale all over the place every time they nail a stump. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd go with a kind of high bottom bracket, um, discs, and maybe go with a couple wheel sets. Uh, I would go with a, more of a road-oriented front end, seventy-three degrees, not too big of a fork offset, and uh, basically make it a road bike that you can ride on gravel. And around here, I think a quick-handling bike, if you're going to go out on the trails, is the way to go. That's how I did yep. my mountain bike. Did a really uh, steep front end, and it just—you flick it all up and just have a blast. It just whips, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> it really does. So kind of a road-oriented gravel bike with a kind of high bottom bracket is what I do.
1: I like it. Cool.
0: Well, Earl, we appreciate your time, and how? Tell everybody how they can find you.
2: Let's see. I've got a Facebook page. It's Earl Glazer Cycles, and I've got a website, um, earlglazercycles.com. It hasn't been updated quite as often as I should, but it's still... It's because you're busy flying and building bikes uh, in in all of your extra free time. And uh, my email is EarlGlazerCycles at gmail.com. And you can always contact me that way.
1: Excellent. Awesome.
0: Well, man, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions for Earl, get in touch with him. And uh, we will catch you guys uh, next time. Funston, you got anything to end with? Uh, Nope. I think I'm good. All right. We'll catch you Earl, guys. Appreciate it, man. On Thank the you very flip side. much. Thanks, for me. Thank Thanks you. man. Adios.
1: Jeez.